So in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians, 11, the 11th chapter. But I just want to give a little background, uh, the background to uh, this epistle to the Corinthians. And what we see is in, in the first epistle of Corinthians, he was dealing with a very gifted church. These are all, this was a local assembly, and they were all in Christ. Every single one of them were, were in Christ. And they were highly gifted. They were as gifted as any other local assembly at that particular time. But they were functioning with their gifts, but in the flesh. And so Paul had to do a lot of dealing with them in that particular place. And for a lot of reasons, he couldn't even come there at certain times uh, because they wouldn't have received him. Then what would happen is the enemy, through bad teaching, through false teaching, through raising up, and we see in 2 Corinthians, even in this chapter 11, verse 14, that Satan, Satan here, it's, it's, we see in verse 13, actually, for such are false apostles. An apostle was just one who had a message a message about Christ. A true apostle had a message. He was just a, a messenger. And he, as a vessel, had that messenger, message that would deal with those that were in the messenger, Christ. But here, what was coming against him and, and the enemy was causing uh, individuals that were in Christ but were functioning in the flesh they would, the enemy would use them with their thoughts and emotions that came from Satan to come against Paul, who actually won them and who actually taught them. And so he would raise, raise them up. The enemy would do that. And when Paul would leave in a certain area, for instance, when he taught in Galatians, and you can read that in the epistle there in Galatians, he would go in and teach them all these beautiful truths about who they were in Christ and who they are in Christ. Beautiful truths. And then when he would leave, the enemy would cause his false apostles, false teachers, false messengers to bring in another whole message to take them away from Christ and get them right back into the bondage of the flesh. And, and they were known as the Gnostics. Gnostiki and so forth in the original languages in the Koine Greek. But they would come in as soon as he would leave, they would come in. It's pretty, it's the same today. It's the same today. And that's why in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not our battle. The battle, the battle that is, that we have, the battle is the fact that we don't wrestle against uh, blood and flesh. We wrestle against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this particular age, spiritual wickedness in the heights. And so, the, so God would give us, through his faithfulness, through Christ, he would give us these truths, these beautiful truths he gives to us that are ours in Christ. And they're so beautiful and so precious. God gives them to us. And you can be sure, and I can be sure, as soon as we leave and go out, the enemy's going to come right in with all these other thoughts to take us right back, take us out of the liberty and freedom that we have in Christ in Galatians 5.1 and bring us right back into the flesh. And this is why we, that God had to say this the other day to teach us is that when there's legalism, the flesh has to be tolerated. 
when there's legalism. The flesh has to be tolerated. And that's why even when God deals with us, and sometimes he deals with us, those that he loves very strongly, when, when, when any of us function in the flesh, it's his loving conviction that his loving conviction, even in chastisement, and we said recently that chastisement many, many times, a lot of times, is the first step of grace. Because God does, because of what he's done and given us his son and what his son has accomplished and what the Holy Spirit so deeply desires to do through the conviction of the word is to get us away from condemnation and where will, be, where will we be condemned? In Christ, is there any condemnation? Romans 8, 1. No, it's in the flesh. And that's why we see that in Romans 8 and verse 4. There is condemnation. So God sends conviction through the word. It's loving convictions. And many times it's sharp and seems hard, right? That's like the surgeon's scalpel. Thank God we go under. <laughs> we go under. But the surgeon's scalpel is very sharp and very precise as it cuts out disease. And then there's a healing process. So in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 31 and 32, God, he lovingly, through the conviction at times and chastisement and pointedness of the word, goes after the flesh that's in us that we're not of. And we can quickly, we can quickly go right into it right back into it in a second. But he convicts us, and conviction is not God condemning us. Conviction is God loving us in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, so we won't be condemned, so that we act absolutely will not be condemned. And so that was, the enemy was raising up these false apostles to come and keeping these born-again believers, these very gifted people, keeping them in the flesh and in the pride of ignorance and in coming against Paul, who was the vessel and messenger of Christ in him as an individual, but for them, the enemy was causing them to refuse him, to reject him. Listen, you know, any time that God deals with us, and he has to deal with us, and he deals with us, when he deals with us, he deals with us in two ways. And the first way is he always, and we can see this in John 3 and verse 30, John 3 and verse 30 says that he must increase, but I must decrease. That simply means the moment that you and I were born again, the moment we were born again, we got the full increase. We had the full increase of Christ. We got the full increase. And now to experience that in the growth of grace, and that true knowledge and experience in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, there's a growth, there has to be a separation of that. So when, the, when God deals with us in the flesh, or when he deals with it in specific individuals because he loves them, he's not dealing with them in the sense that he's against them, he's for them, just like for us. When God deals with us, how can he deal with us, and would he deal with us outside of who he's made us to be in Christ? Would he do that? No. He's completely satisfied. His satisfaction is so unbelievable. And the height of his satisfaction in, in his love for us in Christ is so high that he does not want the flesh that's in us that we're not of, in Romans 8 9, to interfere 
with his thought, the full thought that Christ is in each of us as a vessel. So in, in Corinth, he had to write this whole second epistle. And in it is brought out incredible truth. Because what they were doing was they were accusing Paul that he was making himself more than he truly was. When the, re, when the complete opposite is true. The complete opposite is true. Was true about him. And, and so the enemy would raise up these false apostles. It's very interesting, too, when we understand the teaching of the word. In 2 Timothy 2, in verse 24, it says that, that the, the, the man of God must not strive, the servant, the true worshiper of God. Is there any, any striving when we truly worship him? No, because it leaves out self. It leaves out the flesh. So the servant of the Lord must not strive. Why would we strive? as believers, even when we know truth. The reason we would is because, is because the enemy is very subtle in Genesis 3.1, and we see here in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, he's very, very subtle in his evil genius. He can catch us in a second when we're even completely ignorant of it. As soon as we forget God, and he just looks for that space. Now, does God ever forget us through Christ? He can't. Never. Will God ever hold me accountable again, ever, for sin or failure? No. But he will make me, in his love, through the conviction of the word, accountable to the truth about who he's truly made us to be in the son of his love. In Colossians 1 and verse 13, and in Ephesians, 2, uh, Ephesians 1 and verse 6, we are already accepted in the beloved. So everything, every way that he deals with us, when he deals with us, he's not telling us that's who you are, the flesh. He's not against who we are in Christ. He's against you and I functioning in the flesh about that's not who we are, is it? Is there any flesh in Christ in terms of the cross and what he's accomplished that he did not deal with. In Romans 6, 1 through 6, did, did God, through Christ, crucify the old man? And he did. So the enemy was raising up these false apostles. Right? So 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Striving just simply means I'm functioning in the flesh under the law. But be gentle. And gentle means, when I'm gentle, that means I am yoked up to Christ in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come unto me, all you that labor. Come to him. <laughs> Maybe we wouldn't come to him as often as we should if we didn't have certain pains that he would allow for our benefit, for God's glory, for Christ's glory, and our, and our blessing and benefit. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and humble, the original says. Because if you do, you will find rest unto your soul. And your soul and my soul can't rest until the flesh that likes to live in and through self-consciousness, the soul, is separated so that the spirit, our human spirit, is where we function with God. And that's when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and shows them unto us through this human spirit 
And that's why it says the Holy Spirit prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, the prayer that Paul had for those that were even against him that were in Christ. <laughs> he said, I pray your whole body, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the day of Christ. And then 1 and 524, faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. So he's talking about the spirit. And when the spirit takes precedence over the soul, then the soul takes precedence over the body where all those lust patterns are, where the enemy likes to trap us and snare us. We can get into a fleshy relationship in a second. Any of us can. Any of us can. We can do it in a heartbeat. It's not who we are. And God will always tell us who we are in Christ, but he will deal with us in love about who we're not because it's love that does it. And even in love, when he rebuked Peter, an apostle, when he rebuked him, what did he say to him in Matthew 16 and verse 23? He said, he looked right at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Was, 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 was God judging him? Was Christ judging him? No, he was judging what he was functioning in, the flesh. <laughs> Actuated and energized by the power of evil, the whole, the, uh, Satan. He said, because you savor, not the, you savor not the things of God. Look what he said. You savor the things of men. And in our relationships as men of God, even in our particular local assembly, we can, in a heartbeat, savor the things of men in the flesh and not the things of God. We could do it in a heartbeat. And we always have to be careful. We always do. Now, so they, the enemy, was raising up, we see in 2 Corinthians 11, Verse 13, it says, for such a false apostle. Apostle was just here in this sense. The apostle, an apostle was one here in, in the biblical sense. And that's why in Ephesians 4, 11, there are no more apostles. There aren't any. Because to be an apostle, you had to have face-to-face -face contact with Jesus Christ. Now, those that were on the earth, right, dur during the kingdom age teaching in the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they had face-to-face -face contact with Christ, and, he, and they were taught the word. And then the Holy Spirit gave them the word to record as, as vessels for a message from the messenger Christ. And they became messengers in that sense. And then Paul, this is why we have our heavenly position, which is way above the earth, way above prophecy. That's why in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the day star dawning in our hearts, which is Christ. And that's why he had face-to-face -face contact with the heavenly, glorified Christ. And that's what we have, and that's who we are in Christ. So when it says here, such are false apostles, and when you're a false apostle, you, can, you are a deceitful worker. Now, do, are we in the flesh a false messenger? Can we communicate that to each other? Not only in our conduct, but our thought life. Can we do that? And we all can. We all have that potential. We have the potential to express Christ and intimacy with each other or the potential for the, the power of evil in the flesh. And so it says here, they were what? False apostles, false messengers. What kind of a message do we give to each other when we gather? And then when you're a false messenger, you have a false message and that's the flesh in believers, you become a deceitful worker. You're deceitful. What does that mean? Well, I, in the flesh, I can live just like the unsaved world. 
I watch what they watch. I listen to what they listen to. My conversation is the same. It's the same. Why? Because I'm walking in deception and in Satan, he deceives the whole world. Now, has he deceived us about needing Christ as our Savior? Has he deceived us about the truth about who we are? But can we go right back in the flesh and be deceived? Yeah. And then when we do function in Christ, and when, the, when, when Christ raises up messages to deal with believers when they're functioning in the flesh, will he cause them to accuse those that bring the message? Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, he'll do that. That's what they were doing against the Apostle Paul. That's exactly what they were doing. So he said, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, look at transforming themselves into the messengers, apostles of Christ. Just, just under, God would have us to understand this morning in the most beautiful way about who we truly are in Christ. Our fellowship, the exchange that we have with one another has to do with Christ and him alone. There's no flesh involved in it. It just isn't. And that's why I said yesterday, again, you know, and God will lead certain people to go certain places and to do certain things, but he'll only do that in the intimacy of a very, very beautiful fellowship and exchange of a love life. And then in peace we'll go. And that's why I said yesterday, for me personally, to go to a certain area, God has to convince me. And how does he, what does he use to convince us? His love. And that's where we rest and experience the peace that Christ is in us in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. So they transform themselves into the messengers of Christ. Listen, is there any fellowship in the flesh? There just isn't for us, honestly. Honestly, we're all apt to do that. It's not singling out anybody. Sometimes God has to do that in love. He does. But it's never against them. And it's never because they are an enemy. It's because they're deeply loved. Any of us can do that. You know, if the Apostle Paul needed a thorn, if the Apostle Paul needed a thorn, if he needed a thorn, because of all the revelations of truth that he had, to keep the flesh from, from using those revelations as a means for the flesh and calling it fellowship, if he needed it, what, what do you think you and I do? He needed that thorn. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. And what do thorns do when they stick you? What do they cause? Cause pain. They cause pain. And if any of us are asking why, <laughs> why about pain and why it's continued, it's like Paul was saying. He begged the Lord, and you can see it there in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, 8, and 9. He begged the Lord where it says three times, it was something constant that he was asking God to remove it. Remove this, this pain, this, this splinter, this pain cause. And, it's, and does the enemy use, does God use the enemy to bring pain, but for, for God's good and our blessing, like he did in Job's case? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, there's pain of bad decisions, yes. But even God will use that, won't he? to bring us to the end of ourself and self-help and self-hope. And listen, and self-help and self-help and another believer. What do we have to give each other if it's not Christ? I'll tell you what it is. If it isn't, it's called flesh. 
What causes us? What causes, what causes laughter in us? What is it that causes us laughter? What is it? Is it the joy of, of Christ? Is it? And there's no condemnation. Remember, there's no condemnation to us that in, in those that are in Christ. But can I, in deceit, transform myself into thinking I'm having fellowship when it's just in the flesh? We can do that in a heartbeat, but it's not who we are. It's not who we are. We'll see very soon here who we truly are. So again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, why should we be so shocked at that? For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And where do you think the angel of light can manifest itself to the Christian? Where do you think that happens? Can't and, and he can't in, in Christ, can't touch that. But where? In the flesh. Where? In the experience. In the experience. Well, Therefore, in verse 15, it is no great thing if his ministers, and I want to tell you this, this is for me in my own personal life, I don't want allow, to allow Satan to use my flesh as his minister. Because that's what we minister to each other outside of Christ. There's no gray areas in the Bible. There are no gray areas in the Bible. Read Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Read Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and watch that flow, how we walk in love. So we either walk in love in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, or we walk in the foolishness in, in verses 3 and 4 of the flesh. It's one or the other, and we can, the potential is both, right? To walk in, in, in Christ. So in 1 John 2, verse 6, if any says that he abides in Christ and walks with him, but doesn't, what is that? What would that be? So he says, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. I don't know. <laughs> is there any ministering of the righteousness that Christ is in us in the flesh? Done. There isn't any. This is what makes it so vital for us as men to be so thankful for the correction that God has for us. Because when he corrects us, it's his love. He's convincing us so that we don't walk in condemnation like the rest of the world. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32. As ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their work. I say again in verse 16, let no man think me a fool. Listen, what he's saying is, you Corinthians, I have... The same life that you have, and you have the same life that I have in Christ. And don't think that what I'm teaching you is something that I have apart from you. No, my confidence is not in myself. A fool's confidence in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 is in himself. It's in the flesh. And he even needed a thorn to keep him from functioning in the flesh with all these revelations that he had. Is that not love? It's love. It's painful love, but it's love. It's love. If otherwise, yet as a fool, 
then if okay, if you consider me to be a fool, if you if that's your consideration, then suffice it to be so. Let it be so. That my bo- that I may boast myself a little. He hated to do this. He hated to boast about anything in himself. He only wanted Christ. Isn't that what we truly desire from one another? I mean, truly, really, you know, that's exactly what we want. But what he was teaching them and what God teaches us this morning and what he wants to teach us is the Apostle Paul here, they, they, they the enemy, tried to put him in a place where he wouldn't teach offensive truth, that he would have to defend himself. But for him to have to defend himself as a true apostle of Christ, he had to. He had to do that. He had to do it. He had to vindicate. But whose name was he vindicating? Was he vindicating himself? His own name? The old Saul? The flesh? That's what the enemy wants us to do. You know, when you preach truth... And sometimes it's very pointed and very sharp in Hebrews 4.12. It's very sharp and very pointed. The ox goads in Acts the ninth chapter 1 through 6, those pointed truths. But what is that all about? What was the Apostle Paul truly doing now that he was in Christ and removed from the flesh? He was vindicating Christ's name in him. In him as a vessel that had to do with his own person and his own ministry. And that's what the enemy comes against. And he raises up in the pride and ignorance and stubbornness in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 23, we can all function. See, there's plenty, there's an overwhelming supply of rebellion and stubbornness in our flesh that we're not of. We're not of that anymore. But can we function? When we function in the flesh, what are we functioning in? Rebellion? stubbornness but is that how God sees us is that how he treats us but must he deal with it when you deal with your children in love when they disobey and live in disobedience isn't your dealings with them in love aren't you correcting them in love in Hebrews the 12th chapter and chastisement in those 29 verses and in Proverbs 3 11 and 12 Paul's boast I think it's uh, Psalm 44, verse 8. Our boast is in the Lord. His boast was in the Lord, in him as a vessel. He was no longer functioning in the legalism under the law, in his own foolish, what he thought was self-righteousness, and God had to teach Job that. We saw, I believe it was yesterday, in Job 32, 1 and 2. He had to to deal with him. And so as long as you and I, and, and if I live... Me, if I live in the flesh, all I'm going to do when I live in the flesh and self-righteousness is constantly have to justify myself why I'm living in the flesh and why it's okay. Does God ever give us grace to live in the flesh? Ever. Never does. Romans 6.1, Romans 6.15. No, he does not. He doesn't give us grace to live in sin, but grace is the only way that we don't function in it, right? And in grace and loving chastisement, he deals with us. So there was truth. There was this truth that he was dealing with, and that was his boasting. And he wanted to boast with them in fellowship. And the enemy came in. He came in and falsely accused them. 
This is the thought that God wants us to have. And this is what he was telling me. And if he's telling me, he's telling all of us, right? Because that life that we have in each of us is a vessel that we can only experience individually. And that individual intimacy and fellowship with Christ is the means and only means whereby we exchange the life of Christ in the purity of true fellowship and nothing else. Nothing else. I mean, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't want any dirt or filth or evil people coming into your house, would you? Would I? No, we would do everything we can to keep them out. That's why we have locks on windows and doors. It's to keep us safe on the inside. And that's the word that God's given us. But this is the thought as we close this morning that God wants us to have and what he was telling me all day, all this morning in just a beautiful way. He was telling me this, Ed, whatever your name is, Gabe, Jadiel, Barbara, Diane, Ed, any of us, whoever listens to this message, and you're born again and you're in Christ, this is our destiny as people, destiny in Christ, that we are so loved. He wants that to be our thought this morning. No matter what, no matter what, you're loved. No matter what, you are deeply loved. You, are, you have been washed once through receiving Christ, once in John 13, verse 10. But we can continue to be washed because our walk, our feet get dirty as we walk in this world system. And we are washed because he so deeply wants to continue in intimacy to love us. We are sanctified. We are set apart already from the world. Where does the flesh function? You know, when, it, when we don't function in Christ and we function in the flesh, where do we function? In the world, under the prince and power of the air. In Ephesians 2.2. 2. We're sanctified, set apart from all that old, and set into Christ. We're justified. We're cleared of all guilt and condemnation. Let that be our thought this morning. With the deepest desire of Christ to have an intimate, deep fellowship with him all day long. Non-stop, because he's non-stop in us, isn't he? Listen, that's the standard of our future hope. The enemy was coming in and wants to come in with thoughts that are completely against all of that against the thought of Christ in us as vessels. So these, these men were coming in, these false apostles, to do away with their future hope. Do we have any future hope in the flesh? We don't. Future hope. And to bring in the reality of a present, right now, separateness. We're separated from the world. We have been separated from the flesh. We have been. And he wants us in the consciousness of this depth of fellowship, to function in the nearness and love and holiness to Christ by not allowing any ease of the flesh in this life and any association with the world in any way in its objects, in its music, in its entertainment, in any of it at all, any of it at all, in any of its ways, its philosophies, or even its religion. You know what the world's religion is? It's the self-made man without Christ. That's always in competition with God, excluding Christ. 
He has, Paul said in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians eleven two. He has through the teaching that that God gave him through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has espoused us to one husband only, and we're not to go out and commit adultery in the world. In James the fourth chapter one through four, where we have that, and we're not only to judge conduct of the flesh. Is there any judgment for who we are in Christ? No. But should we discern and judge the flesh? Yes. Thank God. Not only to judge that behavior and conduct, but any unsuitable thoughts and emotions, any unsuitable thoughts and feelings that don't line up with your loved, your washed, your sanctified, your justified, and God, God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit deeply desires to have an intimate holy love relationship with us. Holy. And we're not to have it. And we're not to allow the enemy to creep in in our thought life with what is consistent with the fact that you and I are a chaste, pure virgin in Christ. And that's what makes it so important in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, especially as men, to watch. To watch. To watch any false principles, any false thoughts and lies and emotions to come in because it's poison. And the enemy wants to poison. You know, that's why he was called the serpent there in in the garden. That's why he was called the serpent. Because you get bit by a serpent and then poison enters in. And he wants to poison us and cause us. He wants to kill in the experience the fact of that depth of his love that God loves us with. Father, thank you so much this morning for this deep love, the depth of your love for us. What you went through your whole life, your whole 33 and a half years on this earth, what you went through, and then what you went through on the cross to win us to yourself because you had such a deep desire to love us individually. Yes, we are deeply loved by him individually, and you are. Father, thank you so much for the depth of your love. Thank you that, yeah, the flesh is in us, but we're not of it, and we need to be, that needs to be constantly separated in Hebrews 4.12 so that we can experience the intimacy and depth of your love. Father, thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.